Welcome to the Leadership Zone. I'm your host, Sheila Walsh, Leadership Development Specialist, Coach and Researcher. Okay, so this is going to be a different kind of episode because I'm very lucky to have two people who've been interning with me for a number of weeks now joining me, Natalie and Mary Frances. And I've asked them on to the Leadership Zone podcast to discuss their perspective on the kinds of things that they've been researching, reading and writing, because a big part of the role to work with me is actually learning as you go, as well as actually bringing your own thoughts and ideas to fruition. So sometimes we don't always get to capture those when interns join. So this episode is a chance for Mary Frances and Natalie to tell us a little bit about their background and the kind of perspectives they have from interning with me over the summer. So you're both very welcome. And as I said, it's a conversation rather than formulated educational piece. But I might start by just asking you both so that listeners have a sense of where you're coming from to just give us a sense of where you're coming from. So Natalie, where are you physically coming from and what's your background before you you landed here? And then I'll ask Mary Frances the same. Yeah, so I am from the United States. I grew up in Northern California in a really rural town, but now I live in Phoenix, Arizona. And I come from a performance and sports psychology background. So I'm doing my undergraduate right now. I'm going into my final year studying sports psychology. So my goal is to work with athletes, with leadership, mental skills, all kinds of stuff. So that's the population that I'm studying. But the psychology piece is, has always been a really big part for me. Excellent. Thank you. And I know that you're already setting up your own like business. And so it's been interesting, the different parts that you've had to engage with supporting other interns, as well as looking at some of the business stuff. So I'm curious about your links with leadership and psychology as we chat today. Mary Frances, would you tell us and the listeners a little bit about where you're coming from and why Ireland as well, Mary Frances? Yeah, so I am from Birmingham, Alabama, and I go to school in Arkansas. I study psychology and economics with a focus in behavioral economics, which was Ireland because I'm very Irish with my coloring and ancestors and stuff. But I just I love nature and cities. So Ireland has been a great place to enjoy Dublin and also get out to the countryside. But yeah, I don't really know what I'm going to do. Well, after this internship, I study abroad and I finish my final year of university. But after that, I'm not sure. I've had various experience in research and other jobs and industry, but we'll see what the future holds. So, yeah. Thanks, Mary Frances. And I know you're going off to Argentina if I'm right, and you're going to be doing your last semester in Spanish, which I always think is highly impressive, anyone doing anything educational in a different language. So thank you both. And we'll talk a little bit about, as we go on, about the kind of things that you have thought about and, and noticed over the programme. Okay, so let's start with the first thing around leadership. And just to put you on the spot, what is the main thing you would say that you've learned by doing the internship that has changed your perspective on an aspect of leadership or has shone a light on something that maybe wasn't as evident beforehand? And Natalie, I might put the pressure on you first because Mary Frances, she's a processor, so needs a moment. I, I told Natalie, be ready to, to catch them fast. So I might start with you, Natalie, if that's okay. Yeah, I mean... I come from a very different background in the leadership, I guess, area, just because my experience is in sports. Like I 
grew up an athlete. I played a year of college basketball and now like I want to work with that population. But I think there's so much overlap between like say the business world and athletics. And one of the biggest things that I've learned specifically about leadership and inclusive leadership is that it's such a like an active thing. And it's something that I think can be implemented in so many different areas. Like the things that I'm learning about inclusive leadership in the workplace also translate into inclusive leadership as like a a basketball player or as a coach and just like building teams and being aware of what that looks like. So it's, it's a very like active thing where you can't just not exclude people. Like you have to make sure that people are, are included. And it's, I think it's really important in athletics too, because it's, you're still dealing with a lot of people with different backgrounds, just as like in a workplace. So you have to consider everyone's differences and uniqueness and how to, you know, make them a part of your organization or in the case of sports, like your program. So I would say that's the biggest thing that I've learned is just that it has to be a very intentional thing to be inclusive and just in building a positive leadership atmosphere, no matter what the population is. Mm. And I think it's interesting because I'm thinking about the link between performance as in from a sports perspective and inclusive leadership in like corporate settings. And when we were having dinner the other day, it came up about how we measure performance, you know, and that if you're considering the performance of a woman versus a man, you may be able to streamline a man's performance day to day. But for a woman's performance, you have to take into account that monthly changes and that performance on day four is not the same as performance on day 21 and so in a way I nearly think it's nearly more important when you're doing something that links to especially to like a biological design and this idea that the workplaces are designed for men but most sports measurements are actually and 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 the ways to improve performance and things like that are, are also designed for men calorie intake you know exercises so in terms of from that perspective and I know you had looked at a little bit around and women in leadership because you were part of looking at some of that research as well in terms of what you're going to take back into that physical performance that sports arena what are the kind of things you're aware of now that maybe before you might have had a sense of but maybe now you're like now I'm really clear this is important what are the what do those look like that you're taking back I guess with you Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just, and we were talking about it before, like I grew up, you know, playing sports and all, it was always pushed on me that I just had to work hard all the time. And that we didn't really talk about the differences between like males and females. And to be fair, like usually we're not competing against each other or with each other, but like you said, just the standards are set based on like the male. So If I'm, you know, trying to measure my performance and it's set up against a structure that's based on males, I have to be aware that it's not going to look the same. And that's something that, like I said, I I never really understood that. And I, I have a younger brother. We're very different athletically and our performance has to be measured in different ways, which I think is the same across the board in any population you're looking at you have to understand the differences and I I didn't really realize that until 
I like saw the statistics and like we looked at, you know, the women in leadership and the gender pay gap and seeing those statistics just gave me a little bit of clarity. I mean, understanding obviously in the workplace how that's present, but then for me going back to the sports realm, just understanding that there are differences between male and female and understanding that a lot of the things that we're basing female performance off of are from, you know, the male structure. And I know for me, having male coaches, you know, has been a difficulty sometimes just for that reason, which is why I think having women in leadership positions is important everywhere because those women are more likely to understand what the differences are because they're going through it. So like as a woman going back into sports, I understand that males and females are different and that the structure is generally based on male performance. And so then I can better support those females in just understanding what the differences are. So I think getting that actual like evidence here and like seeing the statistics and seeing the differences and just even hearing perspectives, like we were talking the other day and I was like, wow, yeah, you're right. The, these things are set up for like a male society. And that's the same. There's a lot of the same things in sports. Like you said, calories, like obviously that, you know, male and female bodies do not process things the same way just based on our hormones, but there's a lot of other things in performance as well, like training plans, you know, practice times, like those kind of things typically are not considering the differences between males and females. Mm. Um, So I think just being more aware of it is the biggest thing that I'm taking back and just like seeking information. Like I just want to go and figure out how I can better understand the difference. So then, you know, females also feel supported in those differences. Mm. And and I just think it's important to say that just because someone is female doesn't mean they're going to be able to support that, you know, because in fact, I wouldn't say men or women are better or worse at it. It's actually about whether you understand it or not. And there's loads of women who just perpetrate the patterns that they use to succeed onto other women without questioning them. So I think that, you know, and it, And also it's not a blame thing. It's like, okay, if we can just acknowledge that the world was designed in different ways for the male as the default. And we know that even from like science, we know that from like how seat belts are designed for men's bodies, not for women's bodies. Like it's not a blame thing. It's more of a, it is. And so if it's designed off that structure, we need to question when we think about performance, how that links to it, especially around uh, sports performance, because we already know that sports is culturally you know, quite dominated by uh, not just male performance, but but by the ideas of what good performance is based on what good looks like traditionally for, for men. And just to be really clear, if anyone's listening, when, when I'm talking about male and female or men and women today, I'm talking about sex. I'm not talking about gender. Like we're just talking about sex. So I just want to be really clear. So and, and I'm interchanging them because that's how my language works. But we're not talking gender. We're talking sex in this part of the conversation anyway. Mary Frances, I'm curious to see what's kind of with you and what's different for you, maybe closely linked to leadership, or if it's something else, what is that that's different having engaged in the internship that may not have been there otherwise? Yeah, so I'd say throughout the internship, my perspective really changed on inclusive leadership in terms of 
Like it's not about social inclusion necessarily, but more about performance. And that can also engage more people to and leaders to utilize inclusive leadership practices because it is to optimize performance and have a well-functioning workplace, not just like to check all the boxes. And especially coming from, you know, Alabama in the South of the U.S., there's a big emphasis on all you need to do, kind of like what Natalie was saying, all you need to do is work hard to succeed. That's it. Like your circumstances don't determine your outcome, which to an extent, yes, like you have to work hard to overcome obstacles that are out of your control. But at the same time, like all we're saying, like this is like things are designed in a particular way that some people are at a disadvantage. And so yeah, it's it's a need-based system. And another thing is like that inclusive leadership is not just for marginalized people or like minorities necessarily, but because it's need-based, it's just whoever is in need and marginalized people just tend to have more apparent needs that we're looking at. But I think there's a lot of pushback for inclusive leadership in certain regions and that, oh, like those people just need to work harder. It's not just like, it's not just for marginalized people, blah, blah, blah. And so I think more people can utilize inclusive leadership when they think about it. Okay, it's just meeting different needs so that mm-hmm. each individual can thrive in their environment and they feel welcome and safe, so. I, I really love that, Mary Frances, because there's two parts. We'll come back to the hard work because both yourself and Natalie have mentioned it. And I want to talk about some of the ideas around hard work. But that piece around literally the word inclusion means include. And so if I don't include all in my workplace, I'm not really talking about inclusion. I'm talking about something else. But also that piece about marginalization. If we look at inclusion as needs based, like you've said, and inclusive leadership as needs based, We say, like, what are the needs of my people so that they can perform at their best? And that will mean that some people will have different needs to others. And some may have more because systems are designed for a particular idea or norm that that doesn't meet that person in some way. So they have to, like, additionally effort. An example, gay people in the workplace, somebody says, how's your partner? How's your like wife or husband? Every time a gay person gets that, they have to like correct it in some way or they have to accept it and then deal with the consequences of that. Somebody may uh, think they lied to them, whereas a straight person doesn't have to consider that. So their need in the workplace might be something that's different to somebody else's need. And there may need to be more care around it, but it's not inclusive if it isn't everybody's needs being taken into account. And I think that brings up this challenge for people, which is what's the difference between needs and preferences? You know, so a lot of the time people feel like, oh, they're getting extra. There's a lot of they are like other this idea that others are getting more. And that may or may not be true for any group talking about any other group. But I I think there needs to be a question about what is the difference between somebody's needs and somebody's preferences? And sometimes what I see is that we're especially when there's pushback against inclusive leadership, people are talking about preferences and competing them with needs. You know, so there's a difference between someone needing to be facilitated because of their circumstances versus I prefer not accommodating so for instance not serving alcohol at a a work do because it doesn't actually facilitate a number of people attending your work do is different to my preference for alcohol at the work do for instance you know Um, and they're not the same and I think we talked about this at dinner as well there's a difference between your opinion which is uninformed just because you're confident about it and sure and the evidence and the research and just because you dislike it or it it isn't convenient 
doesn't mean it's equal, just like preferences and needs aren't equal in terms of in when they're in conflict, just like opinions and evidence are not equal when they're they're in conflict. So I I think that's really helpful. And it's nice to hear that, especially there is a lot of political tensions and you're both in the US. I, th- I think the US are leading on political tensions around these topics, to be honest, right? Because a lot of what gets quoted to me is like, we would call them Americanisms now, where I'm like, mm, that isn't appropriate for like, for instance, there'd be things like freedom of speech. Well, that's not actually in legislation. We don't have, you know, whatever. So so sometimes there's a lot of Americanisms being quoted in Europe and in the UK and in Ireland that aren't aren't like appropriate for the setting. They've, they've kind of taken something and just adopted it and not considered it. So it's it's important to think about how different regions are dominating the conversation and how that then influences the understanding people have of what it means in their region and their area. And I like that you're pointing out the difference between social inclusion. While I think morally social inclusion is good, organisationally, it's a different thing. You know, you can't say we include everyone because I'd be a solicitor without any training. You know, there are barriers and boundaries or maybe boundaries to engaging in organisations and there should be, but we should be removing the barriers to it rather than not having boundaries. But socially, actually, uh, we're all in society and we really should be equal regardless of what we know or don't know, what qualifications we have or what access we have. So tell me a little bit about this hard work concept, Mary Frances, and then I might get Natalie to comment on it as well. And is there any difference that you've noticed between like work ethic or relationships with work between maybe what you've experienced in Ireland or in the UK and your kind of sense of it from back home? So any part of that, Mary Frances, maybe just comment on. We'll see what Natalie wants to add. Yeah. So, yeah, just we've my family very much values hard work. I consider myself a hard worker. It's definitely instilled in us. But it, I believe that hard work can only go so far because external circumstances do influence things. And I also feel like it is unfair to look at others and be like, oh, like, well, you're not succeeding because you're just not working hard enough. Like there are so many people who work so hard, like harder than I do. And like they're barely scraping by. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's an important factor, but not the only factor. And like my personal experience, like I have ADHD and growing up like without a diagnosis, I was like, oh, like everyone else in my school, they're just smarter. They're just faster. Like I just have to work so much harder to make the same grades and perform the same when in reality I was like, okay, like it's, I'm, I'm a, at a slight disadvantage. And so recognizing that like was definitely comforting, but yeah, like hard work is not the only only factor and it reminds me of like the research on the benefits of nature and especially like ADHD in children mm-hmm. talked about like children won't be bouncing off the walls if you remove the walls and how again like systems are designed not for everyone so not everyone succeeds in the same environment and so consider like okay like what can we do so that hard work isn't the only factor so that people have kind of like an equal playing field and their their needs are met so I really like I like that like in, I think hard work is often used against people who are facing at marginalization and barriers because it's, it's like the assumption is that if I work hard enough and as a dyslexic it doesn't matter how hard I work I still mess up grammar and it, it's got to the point where thankfully there's like Grammarly and stuff and people proofread but 
sometimes it's it is about knowing that that you could be plumbing hard work into an area that might have little to no impact and that other people could be working three times harder than you not be getting a scratch of the success you're accessing and obviously everyone has different levels of privilege and different levels of, of disadvantage so I think that's really interesting because I, I find you are a very hard worker and very diligent in your work and it's interesting that that's for you to be that the level of compensation you have to do is going to be more emotionally draining than for somebody else who isn't working against their ADHD. That is that is a really interesting point. Natalie, in terms of the hard work, I'm curious about what your kind of position is on it. Is it similar to Mary Frances? Are you going to expand it? Yeah, I mean, I think for me growing up, I, I mean, I, I'm super grateful that my parents instilled hard work in me, but I think sometimes and that's what I've noticed I know we talked about this a little bit with like the U.S. versus some European countries there is this expectation that you are just working hard all the time and people wear it like a badge of honor and it's not a lot of times when because you get to the point where you're overworking and burning out I mean I just remember just one example my senior year of high school I piled so much on my plate that I was not sleeping well, not eating well. I was a three sport athlete. I was not taking care of myself because I thought I just have to work harder. I just have to do more. And although, you know, a lot of times me working hard has led to some successes, it's also led to a lot of like burnout and struggling to balance things. And so, I mean, I think obviously hard work is really important But I also appreciate, like, especially throughout this internship, like knowing that it's not just about working hard. It's also about taking care of yourself, especially because when you're taking care of yourself and taking the days where you're, you know, not at your best to kind of recover, then you're more efficient and productive in your work. And I've learned that the hard way, unfortunately, but, you know, you have to understand that working hard is not like your work is not a linear equation. Like it's not, if I put in this much effort, then I get this much done because a lot of times I will be putting in way too much effort when I'm not at the capacity to actually put that in. And then my work like quality is actually going down. And so like, that's something that I've especially appreciated through my time here and like kind of modeling some of the European ideals in that way of like taking the time when you need to take the time and still understanding that that's not a weakness because that's something that I've always struggled with it's like oh if I'm not being productive at all times then I must be doing something wrong and I think that's a big difference just between like America and it's funny because we do think of it as like look at us we're working so hard when in reality, it's not the most efficient and it's not healthy in a lot of ways. So I've really taken something out of this different culture, different environment for just learning that like working hard is important, but it's also a balance of taking care of yourself and recognizing when you're maybe putting in too much work and you're not at the capacity where you can. Mm. Yeah, I think that that's really interesting. I think the piece, just to know that lots of companies in Europe, uh, not just because they're American, but also European-based, UK-based, Irish-based, 
they, depending on their culture, may also promote that. I think what I find really difficult about that is the, the actual science the, of performance requires recovery. And even the top athletes in the world or the top like actual performance artists, you know, they don't actually have to perform 100% of the time. You perform about 5 to 8% of your actual work. So it, it doesn't make sense that we would be burning people out at, at high levels of performance that don't add that value. And that's something that I'm, I'm always kind of conscious of. You can have someone that's very busy and productive is an interesting word because you can be productive and not have good performance. Like you can be busy doing a lot. I do lots that is not good performance. You know, we can like, you can do things that don't add value all day long and be very productive and not have good performance, not be contributing to the task, not really be getting anywhere. So like, and it's a, it's a bit of an odd one to try and work through as well, because as I pointed to different people for different reasons, whether they have like mental Ill health, whether they have disabilities, whether they're male or female, you know, their age, like there's loads of different things that contribute to our performance. Yeah. So we don't always kind of take that into account. And it's making me think about that presentation that is on YouTube now, Mary Frances, that you gave around competence and confidence. And you pointed to class differences around confidence. Would you just say a bit about that? Because I, I think, well, A, I'll put the links below for people, but I I think that's really interesting. Think of how many people say they just need to be more confident. Just be yourself. Just be confident. Like how often is that said to everybody as if it's one thing? Will you just share what you found when you were preparing for that presentation? They can watch it, but like just to give a little snippet into that what you find about that so there is research that people from like higher socioeconomic backgrounds and like more privileged families like have a greater like instilled they claim to be like unearned sense of confidence and like they had people from high socioeconomic backgrounds and low socioeconomic backgrounds complete various tasks and people who are from more privileged families believe that they perform better than others on those tasks when in reality they only performed average and like I honestly like feel the same way like I have a family and teachers and people in my life who have like instilled so much confidence in me and given me such great feedback that I like yes I am outstanding and I think I perform better than others but there are many times when I am only performing average so I've definitely noticed that difference and speaking to other people who don't have those voices who don't have those opportunities and experiences that contributed to building their confidence and hearing them talk about their own work. But I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about because your work is amazing. But yeah, and the there's the class part and there's also the gender part in that people, like women are wary of self-promoting and expressing confidence because they've received like backlash. They're viewed in less they're less likable in job interviews when they self-promote in comparison to women who do not self-promote, but that's not the same for men. And so that was a very interesting finding that expressing confidence as a woman had kind of backfired. Mm. They call it that likability bias. There's, there's an awful lot around that, but I think the intersection with class, because at least in Ireland and in the UK, I think in Europe, class isn't a protected category, which is really interesting because the, there is a real evident difference in terms of social experience based on class in Ireland. And I often associate the, the term hard work, which is really interesting with working class, because in, in a working class, 
in that experience, my background's working class, hard work is a badge of honor that you can work hard. And if you think about it, traditionally, working class is trade. It is where actually the work was actually hard. So if it wasn't a badge of honor, you wouldn't really love doing it. Whereas middle and upper class, often what I hear in the in the conversation is about working smarter. That's that's what's kind of privileged in that, you know, working smarter, going to the right places, knowing the right people. And if you think about intelligence and competence, which is also in your video is about competence, but intelligence and things like that. There comes a point, regardless of your IQ and everything in your career, where your relationships with people will be a bigger defining moment and I can't remember the research now so there won't be a link but if you're if people listening are really interested they can google and eventually find it but that the research was that once you get to a certain point your social circle has a bigger impact on your levels of success than your capacity than actually the work that you've done than your competency than your confidence and if you think about just I'm just going to use like middle class and working class as differences if you think about working class believing I have to earn my place which is hard work and middle class people being brought up to think, oh, I've got to like figure this out. It's it's actually like an equation. It's about working smarter, not harder. Like I'm rewarded for like figuring it out and getting being successful rather than for how much hard work I put in. And I'm not saying this is true for everyone, because sometimes when I say things, people are like she said that's about everyone who's working class and everyone who's middle class. I'm just talking about these kind of narratives that I hear. And mostly I hear them in Ireland, to be honest. People from a middle class background are going to be better set up because they're taught to work harder and to use their connections whereas if you're taught that hard work is the value you may not use your connections you may not even consider that connections are relevant to your success and you may not realize that other people are succeeding because of that and the, the research is there um I can't remember the name of the social scientist but basically your connections have a bigger impact on your salary than how successful you are at, at the actual job that you do and so it's interesting if we think about inclusion beyond the, the levels of discrimination, which is where most inclusion enters our conversation. It's from the kind of like anti-discrimination perspective, but inclusion isn't anti-discrimination. Inclusion is way further, which is actually that all people have access in some way um, that works for them. Then class really matters because it, it's not about whether other people are stopping you. It's about how the narrative and the story and the values you were taught either set you up to succeed or not and both of you repeatedly on this internship have talked about hard work and have worked hard and I often wonder if our relationship with hard work is a little bit like gaslighting like yes we need to like put effort in 100% I'm on that right but the research tells us that what results in success is a lot less about hard work than what most people talk about and effort and privilege has a big impact on it, but also so does your social uh, status and your, your social connections. So it just kind of gets me thinking about all these intersections and how the confidence piece, you mentioned class and you mentioned gender, but add additional things like if you're also working against racial bias on top of, you know, class assumptions or gender assumptions, you know, how, yeah, how we can't box people really. And if we're not thinking about inclusion through that needs perspective, then we're going to have to keep people putting people in boxes to make a decision. And one thing I did want to say, Mary Frances, in one of our first sessions, Mary Frances was on a masterclass with me. And one of the pieces of feedback Mary Frances gave me was, Sheila, this, I didn't know what you were doing in the beginning. It took too long to get to the point. And the reason I say this is when you work with someone who has ADHD, they will enhance your ability to know what matters and what doesn't because you'll lose their attention. And so that was like really helpful feedback to me, which was also very brave as an intern who just met me to tell me that. 
But I just want people on the call to go, actually, people with ADHD have the ability to help me get to the point, be efficient with it and maintain people's attention. And that wouldn't have been in our conversation and wouldn't have added value to our work if you didn't have ADHD. So I, like, I think sometimes we're always looking at these things as like barriers or, you know, including people because it's good for them. It's good for us. We do better. Like it improves things. So I'm going to open up the floor to both of you to see if there's any additional thoughts or questions or ideas that we haven't got to discuss. Because I know I did ask you to kind of say, like, what's the important things to you? And just, yeah, just see who'd like to, if we haven't covered something that you said that you just want to kind of uh, offer to listeners as a learning that you're taking away or something that feels important. Natalie, you're nodding. So I'm going to, uh, and also you, you kind of said it's okay to put you under pressure. Mary Frances, I'll come to you second. And um, Is there anything that we haven't covered, Natalie, you just want to add for listeners? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing that I've learned just in being exposed to inclusive leadership is just how important it is to be aware. Because, I mean, this is something that I've been learning, kind of looking at like nutrition and training and certain different aspects of sport is just bringing awareness to things. And I wasn't aware of a lot of issues that different groups of people face and how, how important inclusion is in those scenarios. And I mean, in any scenario, but because I don't have certain barriers or challenges or, you know, whatever, I mean, everyone has different needs, obviously, but I think it's important to just be aware of different perspectives and so that's something that I've really learned a lot of is I don't have certain things just as other people don't have the same experiences as me and it's not a bad thing that's the way it is everyone has different experiences and can bring different things to the table but I think from what I've learned the very basic foundation of what inclusive leadership is, is bringing awareness to these things. Like we can't just eliminate biases overnight. We can't just get rid of our differences. And I don't think we really want to, because that's what make people unique. Like you're saying with Mary Frances, like her perspective with this certain difference between us is what one of the things that I think makes her such an, a valuable asset to like our team But it's also important to just be aware of those things so that we can better support people, because that's one of the things that I try to do with athletes is understand different experiences and different perspectives so that I can better support people where they are, because they're not where I am. We're in different places, but if we're aware of what each other need and how we can be more supportive and just that idea of inclusion and being very intentional about including people, not just not excluding, then we can just make a better, better workplace. And ultimately the thing that I've found with like trying to reach coaches specifically is that if you can get people to buy in with the idea that it's going to increase performance, they're a lot more likely to want to give you the time of day. If they're thinking, oh, this will actually help my athletes perform better, or this will actually help my workplace perform better. Yeah, I'm all in. Like, that's the kind of perspective that I've had to take. And I feel like that's the same way with inclusive leadership is it's just important to understand that it actually is making a difference. And I've learned, I've seen the statistics of 
how it actually makes a difference. And so I think that's kind of where I'm at now. And I'm just super excited to get to use what I've learned in my different sphere of the same kind of things. Thank you. Thank you. That kind of like energized me listening to it. Mary Frances, was there, because I know you you had a couple of things as well. Was there anything you wanted to add before we finish up this episode today? Yeah. So I think the cultural aspect of inclusive leadership is also both interesting and important thing to consider because you've talked about having a balance between belonging and uniqueness. So like feeling you belong and are welcome in your workplace environment, but also that your uniqueness is valued. It's interesting how that can vary between cultures as well. Like, you know, having independent and interdependent cultures and even like advertisements, like for America can be okay. Like stand out among others, like be better than your neighbors and stuff. But for advertisements for Latin American cultures, it's more like be one part of a family like your neighbors. So it's, it's a very different approach and people from different cultures thrive in different ways and they have different goals and so from an American perspective it's easy to think okay like everybody has this perspective like everybody wants to be unique right but that's not exactly the case and there's yeah there's still just balance that's that's really interesting because I I think also because the the science it was short owls 2011 work about um, defining inclusion as a balance between belonging and uniqueness what's interesting is I think that they need to be in relationship with each other in every culture. And when they're not, you know, we pay the price of leaning too much towards belonging where you may not have any individuality and might not live your own life for yourself. But also if it's too much towards that uniqueness, that individuality, you might not see your role or responsibility to community, society, your team, you know? So in my mind, there's something about keeping that seesaw between the two for everyone, you know, in connection that the tension between belonging and uniqueness might actually help us live very fulfilled lives as individuals and as part of communities yeah you, you pop that I also, also like to add like I remember hearing that you know for belonging is not necessarily about conforming it's not the opposite of uniqueness but like fitting in is changing yourself to be part of an environment whereas belonging is being accepted for who you are so both of them can coexist it's not two ends of a spectrum but they're emphasized in different differently that's really important like if you're fitting in that's not belonging and if you're conforming so you're having to hide parts of yourself that's not belonging either there's actually a lovely quadrant to show the the balance because otherwise you get assimilation or you get too much competitiveness you know and inclusion generally is quite good for us whereas those other things like assimilation conforming they tend not to be long term that's a really important point okay well thank you both I really appreciate it and I'm sure the listeners the other thing is just to say to the listeners one of the things we were thinking about was often podcasts or books or conversations of this nature don't take into account different generational experiences or points of view on it and different industry perspectives or different individuals lived experiences because there is a lot of conforming happens for a lot of people who end up having a platform like I do and that's one of the reasons that chatting to Mary Frances and Natalie was important was to say that actually sometimes we're listening to the same thing the same voices the same ideas and we're not getting that kind of individual spin on it from a different generation 
or a different geographical experience or just a different personal experience in the world saying, I see this differently. So I hope it was helpful. All the links and things will be below besides the piece of research I couldn't remember, but everything else will be below. And Natalie did a really good masterclass on psychological safety in the workplace. And Mary Frances did one on the balance between competency and confidence, which Mary Frances referenced in the call. Those links are below as well for you to follow up with them. So otherwise I'll say thanks a million and I wish you the best. Thank you for listening to The Leadership Zone. We can continue this conversation over on Twitter and my Twitter handle is at Sheila Walsh one or at LinkedIn. You'll find me under Sheila Walsh to book a free consultation to discuss your leadership needs or the leadership development needs of your organization. Simply visit my website www.sheilawalsh.com and book a free leadership consultation. I look forward to hearing from you.